from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. morning june 22nd 12 to 1 a.m at 12 35 jinx walked out of the reading room where he had been glancing through month-old issues of life and look as he entered the lobby he met miguel hello and welcome to the program my name is hunter and i am joined today as i am joined every day by my my good friend and drinking buddy every day every day that there's a podcast that's true my good friend and drinking buddy, Hugh. Yes. Hamilton. Also correct. And I am also joined by my signature snack and my signature drink. Hugh, today I have with me, as I have tried to have, but not always succeeded in having, uh, every week I am joined by a gin sour and a box of crackers. That is my drink and my snack. What do you got? To a company, what have you got to make the Crichton go down a little easier? Crisp, anonymous glass of white wine, mm. squeezed from a box, and a delicate wooden bowl full of banana cream biscuits. Sounds enticing. Tastes even better. Mm. Well, let's um, not dilly dally and shilly shally, shall we? Shall we? Not shally shally, dilly dally. We shall neither dilly nor dally today. Nor silly nor shally. For we have a brisk chapter to briskly whisk through. We do. In keeping with the theme of the last couple of chapters of this book, which I don't know if you mentioned, is called Odds On. And by the way, this podcast is called... Oh, yeah, Odds On. And the podcast is called, for Christ's sake, you probably already heard that, but uh, what it is is a chapter-by-chapter chapter dissection, synopsis, commentary of the works of one Michael... What's his middle name, do you think? Joan. You think it's Joan? Yeah. Michael Joan Crichton. You, you ready to have your mind blown? Mm-hmm. You, you already know his middle name. Is it John? Nope. Do you know what it is, Hugh? Michael? His middle name is Michael. Is it Michael Michael Crichton? Nope. It's John Michael Crichton is his name. Ah, that's right. Yeah. I knew there was a John there somewhere. Yep. And it's in the front. John in the front, party at the back. Yeah, that's how I like it. All right, so we got a brisk chapter. What's not a dilly dally nor shilly shally? Shall we, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> what do you that's think? That's good, but but we can frolic a little, right? Yeah, no. Uh, we, we have to be serious. We have a plan to to execute uh, execute the computer plan. <laughs> I like that this this chapter supposedly takes place in an hour, right? Twelve to one a.m. Yeah. But in the first two <laughs> words, we've already skipped 35 minutes. 
Well, those are, I mean, we didn't skip any of it. It's all there. He, he had been glancing through about the old issues of life and what. So that's what he'd been doing for 35 minutes. <laughs> but uh, before we uh, get to the chapter itself, we had to do a little bit of uh, catching up, I think. Uh, yeah, let's do it. So How are you going? Oh, about the book. Sorry. Yeah, I don't give a shit about your personal life. Hmm. This is purely a professional relationship. Um, just like the relationship between Jinx, Miguel, and Brian are three principal characters. Uh, okay, so there's not that much to recap. They're just setting up for the heist. They're oh, they're doing that. They're doing the heist. Hour. They're doing the heist at this point. Were they already doing the heist at this point? Yeah. Yep. Did they start doing the heist last chapter? Yeah, they had... Uh, Miguel and Brian had broken into several rooms. And Brian had set the, the firebomb up. All right. Bad recapping on my part. Yeah, so they've started the heist. Yes. Our three... Our three the three boys... They were going. They were rifling through the rooms, trying to find valuables. Now, one important thing that happened at the end of the last chapter that pretended disaster, perhaps, mm. was something that is mentioned in passing. I don't even remember. I've got this sentence here. It was this, and I'll quote from the last chapter. Brian hoped Miguel would get to Jenks with the news. It was distressing, something he was not sure about. Now, that occurs in the penultimate paragraph of the last chapter with no contextual explanation as to what it's actually referring to, what the news is. It's true. And why it's distressing. But that sets us up neatly. It does. For the following chapters. Which ignores that, or not doesn't ignore, brushes past that uh, set up a little bit. No, that, that, that comes to It does come to fruition. Comes to fruition. Yeah. But... Jinx at first brushes off Miguel is what I'm trying to say. Indeed, yeah. So uh, as we've, uh, as I already introduced, uh, Jinx is reading some magazines, and uh, Miguel comes up to him. He's got something to tell him, but does Jinx listen to you? He does not. He cuts him off and says, "Not here, not now." Mm. Miguel tries again. Listen, listen. It's save it. Get back to work. He all but snaps at him. Hugh, is this is this some for Christ's sake already? No, I, for crying out loud, you mean? For crying out loud, yeah. The whole thing is for Christ's sake. Um, I mean, so much this podcast is for crying out loud that mm. uh, we shouldn't necessarily subdivide it into segments. But I did create a uh, updated version of the theme song for the mm. last episode that I've edited. Great. And it's a little bit too long, and I uh, should only play it one one time per episode. So when there's a, a particularly juicy quote, mm. that's when we'll deploy the theme song. For the incidental quoting from the text, we should just say, for crying out loud. For crying out loud. Just do your best, yeah. um, Mark Maron. <laughs> oh, no, case. my heartbroken lead. I love you so much. <laughs> Lock the case. <laughs> oh, pound shit, my pants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so tasteless. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? All I can taste is delicious banana cream. Anyway, back, back to the topic at hand. Uh, so uh, there, there wasn't a lot of uh, for crying out loud in this chapter, I must say. Not in this chapter, no. But there is one uh, passage that I think warrants uh, a tuggy, I guess. <laughs> All right, so Miguel uh, has been brushed off. What does Jake do instead of engaging with his, his partner? Uh, he has a conversation with the doorman. Mm. About how shitty the hotel is. 
Yeah, well, that's the doorman side of the conversation. He's complaining about the facilities. <laughs> and with so many of Jake's conversations, he seems to be not present in it at all. No. Mm. So even though it was actually Jenks who disabled the elevator, the doorman considers it par for the course for the shoddy hotel. So, yeah, he talks about how shitty the hotel is. Uh, and then um, so he's like, Miguel, not now. I have to make then... small talk with the doorman. <laughs> And then he does Your important it. news can wait. Wait, okay, okay. We don't we don't need to linger on this too much. But then he goes into a, a phone booth and um, unscrews the light bulb, casts the image shadow, and puts on a hood and pins his jacket to his t-shirt or something like that. And then he waits. Yeah, he waits for the lights to go out, I guess. Yes, because it, it would be somewhat conspicuous for him to <laughs> leave a phone booth uh, clad in, in theft gear. It's true. In broad lobby light. Um, so from that little portion of this chapter, we jump to a different character in a different place. And we jump to our good friend, Jean-Paul. Who is sitting alone at the nightclub bar with his cutty sock and water. And what is he What is he doing? And Hugh, I think I believe this is a uh, this is the only moment of the chapter that I, I feel like is uh, worthy of a for Christ's sake. Yeah, I, I highlighted this for too. crying out loud. We can read the whole sentence again, actually. Mm, go go for it. OK, I'll, I'll just I'll do the uh, I'll do the intro and you can read it. Okay, well, if this is the only quote for the chapter, I could play the whole for, thing for crying but... out loud. Well, best of both worlds. He's right and proud. Come on, let's hear. Jean-Paul, sitting alone at the nightclub bar with his cutty sock and water, listened absently to the fat horse on stage mumbling her bad French. <laughs> oh, yikes. He takes, he takes every, every, <laughs> every opportunity to flex his misogyny, does Crichton. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even a casual misogyny at this point. It's very active. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet, buddy. I don't know what you're talking about, but we're not going to talk about that in this episode. We're talking about it in the, the next episode. Don't don't cross their wires, bro. I'm teasing them. Mm. Teasing them for a, a whole span of days after this one. We're mixing pain and pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Um, so, yes, he's drinking his whiskey and listening to a horse, apparently, sing on mm-hmm. stage. And uh, what should happen, Hugh? Not just any horse, a fat horse. Mm. Just to be mumbly, mumbly bad French, just to be extremely clear. <laughs> um, and uh, what should happen to you? Does a device go off that had been said in the last chapter? Maybe an innocent-looking carton of cigarettes mm. tossed casually by the uh, drapery at the side of the stage. Maybe, maybe. But anyway, there's this loud whoosh, mm. as if a window had been blown open. John Paul looks around, and what does he see? He sees a fire. Indeed. And then it's chaos. People leap from their tables. Chairs are scraped and knocked back. Women are screaming. I'm narrating like this for the benefit of the edit when I supply the sound effect. It's going to be great. I don't think you need to do that. I don't know if we need to linger on this particular chapter that much. There's not a lot to it. I feel like just drawing it out is not the, the method to having a good podcast. But this is the only bit of the chapter that has, like, excitement in it, really. That's not true. I don't know. I can't remember. 
We'll talk about some more in a little bit. Sound yeah. effects are the only way of having a good podcast. That's not true. So there's fire, people screaming, whatever. And then uh, he runs for the fire extinguisher. That's about it. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then we cut from there. We double back to Jinx, shrouded by darkness. And he uses this cover to sneak, Mr. Jinx does, into Monsieur Bruno's office in order to access the safe you. I mean, Bonnard is apparently German, so I'm not sure what the French accent no, he's, is for. No, he's Swiss. He's Swiss. Oh, is he Swiss? Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess um, he could speak French or German then, yeah. That's fair enough. Probably speaks both. Yeah. Um, I don't know really know what a Swiss accent sounds like. Roger Federer? You want to try one real quick? I play tennis. It me, the Swiss man. I number one tennis player in the world. Is that good? Not accurate. I was for many, many years. Yes. I, a lot of people consider me to be the greatest tennis player of all time. I say that's fair. My rivalry with Roger Nadal is legendary. But I am often considered a much superior player to him. He sneaks into Mr. Bonnard's office. Uh-huh. And he's uh, fumbling around, right? Yep. When what happens? The door opens, and who comes in but Mr. Bonnard himself? No, Monsieur Bonnard. Holding a candle. Mm. And uh, thinking quickly, Jenks jumps into a closet or something. He rolls for stealth. I think he just goes into a closet. Yeah, let's say a closet. Yep, he moved behind the desk and opened the closet door. There you go. There we go. So he goes in the closet. Um... Mr. Bonnard locates two flashlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shines one suspiciously around the room at one point, mm-hmm. but finds nothing, and then exits. And Jenks is like, oh, that was a close one. Jumps out of the closet, gets to work on the safe. Mm. Luckily, he paid $10,000 for the combination. Indeed. So the safe is like... Butter on a latch. It's 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 so easy to open, you know. He throws it open, Hugh. What should he see? But well, we'll find out in a little bit. All we know at this point of the chapter is that Jenks couldn't believe his eyes. Is it riches beyond his wildest dreams? We'll find out. Is it a bunch of salami? Crap. So what's the next action? The cab driver outside slams the door and screams off across the bridge. Mm. It was the easiest 50,000 piestas he had ever made. Am I right? 5,000, but close. Same difference. And then, further out into the harbour, we have Barry. Also thinking about money, but instead of thinking about how easy and well-paid he has been, is he's grousing to himself about the fact that, you know, as soon as the lights go off, he knows that it's a robbery and he should have been paid more for this. Yes, so up until this point, he wasn't privy to the details of this plan. Mm. Because he still isn't. Only to the requirements of his particular portion of it. So there we go. Now, we return to Jenks. And Hugh, what's in this safe? Is it everything he could possibly want? Well, providing that he wants some neatly folded papers of no value, then yes. What? No! (laughs) The safe is empty? Other than aforementioned papers, yes. Completely empty. 
Wow, that's got to be some disappointment to Jinx. I mean, he estimated that there'd be at least a million dollars in there. The computer told him it would be okay. <laughs> How could the computer lie? I mean, to be clear, the computer didn't lie. The computer knew only what it was told. As you can imagine, especially if you put yourself in Jenks's shoes, he's he's fucking Devo. He's he's P P P O. All right. Completely P O. Mm. Duh. Eventually, his mind comes up with a potential explanation for the emptiness of the safe. And that is, well, maybe no one wants to entrust their valuables to the manager's safe. Maybe they're all carefree about it. And they're happy to have their valuables in their rooms. At least they'll be able to make up with some payday. No, he may not have been able to secure the valuables himself via the safe. But that just means that all the valuables are in the hotel rooms. Miguel and Brian are going to sort them out, right? Yep. Am I right? Are you right? That's that's fine. Yeah. So it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be okay. So don't yeah, don't stress. It's gonna be great. The right? play is gonna come off without a hitch. Even despite this hit, little hitch, the computer is never wrong. The computer is never wrong. We've made it this far, planned carefully. There's no way this could go wrong. Not a single way. No way. Hey. So he he meets up with uh, <laughs> Brian and Miguel, and what happens? <laughs> what did Miguel have to tell him? What Miguel was trying to tell Jenks was that they searched the rooms and came up with basically nothing. Uh, the total that they actually managed to scrounge together was a mere $200 in checks and bills. But that's that's so little compared to how much Jenks invested in this plot. I know, and Miguel and Brian were having sort of a parallel experience. They were saying, well, there's nothing in the rooms. There must be, All the valuables must be in the safe. Mm. So Jenks is going to get all the valuables that way, but... So we get this collision of disappointments. What is the only conclusion that someone who possesses a mighty intellect on the level of Jinx's could come to, Hugh? Jinx's conclusion is, and I quote, somebody's beaten us to it. We've been robbed! Which is, you know, that's an ironic thing for a potential robber to say, right? Mm. Is it not? It is. And then the bridge explodes. Then the bridge explodes. Added a bridge explosion sound effect. And uh, that's that's all, that's that's all that's all he wrote, folks. That's it. A kind of brief chapter, uh, but he promised that next week we got we got a fat one for you. Am I right? Got a fat fat horse, muffling in bad French for you. <laughs> <laughs> so this this was a brief chapter. Mm. But it did contain quite the revelation, did it not? Mm. It it contained more interesting detail than the last six or seven chapters. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the fact that because the novel has been so drawn out up until this point, <laughs> that we, we we do kind of share Jenks's disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like we've plowed through all these ludicrous sex scenes <laughs> and filler chapters just to get to this empty safe. Mm. <laughs> it's true. So it's true. That you know, that's that's a sign of uh, authorial genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's how I describe this. We thought we were just wasting time when we were <laughs> engaging in two consecutive drug-fueled sex scenes with John Paul and Cynthia. Something larger is the foot heel. And to find out, you'll have to join us next week. Yeah, we're sorry to leave you hanging, but that's what Crichton has done to us. That's what, that's what, that's what, that's what Crichton do. And that's what we do, because we, we cry.
of Brown Hall.